let's jump into the message this morning. We're in our series, The Gospel According to Matthew. And uh, today, Matthew 16, verse 13 through 17, 16, 13 through 17, prophet, priest, and king. A couple of weeks ago, uh, in chapter 8, if you hear the buzzing back here, our, our baptistry pump didn't get the memo that the time changed. So, uh, so it's going, uh, if you hear that, uh, that's, what, that's, that's what's going on back here. Um, uh, but you got the memo, you're here, and you're on time. Uh, we were in chapter 8 a couple of weeks ago, and we saw Jesus and the disciples uh, travel across the lake, or across the Sea of Galilee, uh, to, to visit the Hippos, or the Decapolis area. You remember we looked at this map a few weeks ago. Um, the, uh, most of the Jews, uh, or the Pharisees especially, the, the more Orthodox Jews, spent most of their time up in, is that cursor right there in the middle of the, the lake? Yeah. Oh, you can't get it out. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, huh? <laughs> yes, yeah, a boat out there. That's right. And there, look, there's Jesus walking over to it. Look at that. Um, <laughs> uh, the triangle, the northwestern part of the lake, Corazon, Gennesaret, Capernaum, and Bethsaida, often called the triangle. That's where a lot of the Pharisees uh, hung out and stayed. Re- you might remember Tiberius was with, with Herod hung out uh, and uh, the more Hellenistic Jews. Uh, and over in Hippos, or the Decapolis, was a, a strong Roman uh, area and, uh, and, uh, and Gentile or pagan area. Um, you remember that Jesus and his disciples, Jesus said, hey, let's travel across the lake. Uh, and, and he meant to Hippos, to the Decapolis area. Uh, and, and there, um, that is where Jesus confronted or was con- confronted by the man who was possessed by a demon. Well, Jesus healed that man. He was a, likely a Gentile uh, or probably a pagan. Uh, and he told this man, after he drove the demon out, remember, into the, the herd of pigs, and they all went off the cliff and, and drowned, uh, he told this man, go tell everybody what, what happened to you. Uh, often th- he didn't, he would tell, especially Jewish people that he healed, don't tell anybody. And, uh, he would tell the disciples, oh, don't tell anybody. Uh, but here he told this man to go tell everybody what had happened to him. You know, uh, you know like, go, go, go tell everyone that you met someone who, unlike your Roman gods, uh, this man that I just met, he could actually do something. <laughs> uh, uh, Jesus was, was uh, uh, a man with power, and uh, unlike Roman gods who just were statues sitting on a podium, Jesus was somebody who had power. Um, Jesus was not just, and, and as he did this for this uh, this man in Hippos, in the Decapolis, he was demonstrating that he was not just the savior of the Jews and the Jewish community, he was the savior of all communities, of all people. Um, now, while the bulk of Jesus' ministry did take place in Jewish territory, especially around that triangle area, um, uh, on a few occasions, Jesus would venture into Gentile areas, uh, like the Decapolis uh, and, and there he would go to minister to the Gentiles that were there. And he would often go there also to teach a lesson to the disciples. Uh, he would go for specific reasons to teach a specific lesson. When Jesus fed the 4,000, we read about in Matthew chapter 15, which 
really could have been as many as 8,000 or more because 4,000 was just the men, not counting women and children. So there could have been 8,000 or more uh, people that Jesus fed that day. Uh, Mark tells us in Mark 7, verse 31, that he was in the Decapolis again. This was the second time he had been in this area. And perhaps, and, and prob- likely, a lot of the people in this crowd of 4,000 were Gentiles. Uh, and maybe they were there, we don't know, but maybe they were there because of the testimony of the formerly demon-possessed man that Jesus said, go tell everybody. And maybe you're just like, hey, the, you know the guy that healed me, that drove out the demon? He's going to be here this afternoon, let's go. So we don't know that for sure, but perhaps uh, that might have happened. In chapter 16, verse 13 through 20, uh, once again, Jesus leads his disciples into Another Gentile territory, this time Caesarea Philippi. So you've got the Sea of Galilee down here, and straight up north is an area called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was named after Caesar, Caesarea, and Philip, which was Herod the Great's son. Herod the Great had divided his kingdom up into three parts. Philip got this area up north of the, Gal- of the Sea of Galilee, and so uh, Philip named it after Caesar, got to give him credit, and himself, uh, Philippi or Philip. Um, Now, many wonder, as Jesus took his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, many wonder if Jesus went there specifically to visit a a particular place. There was a prominent pagan temple there um, that was dedicated to Pan, the the Greek god Pan. Um, It it was... uh, Pan, if, if you remember, he's got the legs of goats and a man's body and a, the head and the horns of a, of a goat. Uh, Pan was the Greek god of the wild or the outdoors. Uh, also, he was connected with fertility and the season of spring. Well, in this particular location, and, and often rabbis would take their students to a particular lo- location to teach a, a specific lesson uh, and, and the the, the, the rabbi would say, look, this, this right here, I want to point to this right here or show you this right here to teach this lesson. So many wonder if, um, if maybe Jesus took the disciples here for this specific reason. There was a cave there um, that a spring came, came out of. Uh, and uh, it was believed by the ancients. Remember the, the ancient god of Baal from the Old Testament. That's a prominent god that you read about in, in the Old Testament. Well, Baal was the god of, of the fertility of the land. Um, and they believed, there was, the, there was a myth, that, that Baal in the winter would go into the underworld at this spring, uh, this opening in the ground. And then when the season of spring came along, he would come out of that spring um, uh, from this cave. Uh, and uh, at in this place, during Jesus' time, uh, as the Romans sort of adapted some of the Baal uh, beliefs, um, there was a, an annual pagan festival that took place in this area, in Caesarea Philippi, uh, and it was held in honor of Pan, who was also associated with the fertility of the land. And, and this festival was called Pandemonium. Uh, you might wonder where that name came from. That's where it came from. It was, a, it was a, a, an annual feast that took place among these pagans. Now, I, I heard um, a guy describe what happens at this festival. And it, it, and it makes 
Las Vegas and Mardi Gras look like kindergarten. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I would be ashamed to even tell you what some of the things that went on at pandemonium. Um, but that, that's what took place in this, in this, uh, this temple area. Of, and the ruins are still there. Those of you who went to the Holy Land, did you see, did you go to Caesarea Philippi? Yeah, okay. Uh, that, that place is still there, and you can see some of the ruins. Now, we don't know for sure that Jesus took the disciples to that temple area, um, uh, but it makes sense that he might have done that, given uh, what he's about to say to them when he's in Caesarea Philippi. This spring, where uh, Baal was supposed to go into and come out of, uh, uh, was often called by the Romans the Gates of Hades. The Gates of Hades, that's what it was known as. And it's here in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus tells his disciples that the Gates of Hades would not overcome his church, Matthew 16, verse 18. There would be no earthly power. There would be no other god, Baal or Pan or any other god. There would be no earthly kingdom, the Romans, any other kingdom that would ever be strong enough to overcome the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish and the church that he came to establish that would lead that kingdom here on earth. Uh, and as Jesus makes his statement, perhaps, perhaps he actually pointed at the gates of Hades and said, and the gates of Hades will not prevail over the kingdom, the church. Um, and the disciples would have, would have been familiar, probably heard the stories of this area. Again, we don't know for sure, but, but why did he go to Caesarea Philippi to teach this lesson? Maybe, maybe he actually pointed at it and said, uh, and the gates of Hades, where evil and immorality exist, can never prevail against my kingdom. But before Jesus gets to that, um, he asked the disciples a couple of questions. Um, the first question was asked mostly to get to the second question, uh, which was the answer that Jesus really wanted to hear. And so the first question was this, Matthew 16, verse 13, as he's maybe sitting there near this, this temple in Caesarea Philippi, he asked, who do people say the Son of Man is? You know, Jesus had ears. You know, he heard uh, what people were talking about. And so he asked the disciples, hey, tell me some of the things that people are saying, that you've heard people say when they speak of me. Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So the scuttlebutt among the Jews is when people are talking about this Jesus guy who was, who was ministering around the area, uh, was that Jesus was carrying on the work of some Old Testament heroes like Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or some other prophet. Now, Jews didn't, did not believe in reincarnation uh, at, uh, at all, but they did believe that departed souls sometimes might empower living men uh, to carry on their work later on in history. Um, verse 15 but Jesus asked them the question that he, that he wanted to know. This was what he really wanted to know. Okay, what about you? He asked. Who do you, disciples, who do you say that I am? Now notice how he, how he emphasized it. What about you? Yeah, we hear, we hear what they say. 
What do you say? I, I, I know what's going on around you, but what do you think? You know, Peter often acts as the spokesman for the twelve. Later, uh, Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom just a, a little bit later after this. Uh, and so he's sort of the, the, the spokesman for the twelve, the leader of the twelve. <clears throat> and sometimes his responses to Jesus are, are pretty good. Uh, he, he's pretty wise, and, and, and we can take note. Sometimes what he says is not so good. Sometimes what he says is horrible. Uh, just a little bit later, he's going to uh, question whether Jesus should, should, uh, should die on the cross, and, 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 and Jesus is going to say, hey, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> you're, you're out of line here, Peter. Um, so, so in this case, what he says is fantastic, and just a little bit later, what he says is horrible. Uh, but this time, it was exactly what Jesus wanted to hear. Uh, and here's what Peter said. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. Now, this was the perfect answer. Why was it the perfect answer? Uh, because it was exactly right. Peter, what, Peter was recognizing that Jesus was the Messiah. The Greek form of Messiah is Christ. He was the Messiah. He, was, he is the Christ. Now, what is the Christ? Uh, often we, we use it sort of as Jesus' last name. <laughs> in fact, uh, the, often in the, in the Bible it just says Jesus Christ. Uh, almost like it is his last name. Uh, but it's not really his last name at all, even though we kind of say it that way. Uh, it's what he is. The Christ is what he is. Again, Christ is the Greek equivalent to Messiah. Messiah is what he is. Uh, and, and both of those words mean the anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one. Now, in Hebrew culture, uh, this represents one who is set apart from other people. If you were an anointed one, you were taken and set apart from, different, from other people. You were set apart for the work of God. Uh, and often you were endowed with the power of God. In, in Hebrew culture, this setting apart of, of people for God was the practice of pouring oil over their head uh, in a ceremony. And, and it primarily was, was given to prophets, priests, and kings. If you look in the Old Testament, these were the three people that were often anointed and set apart. Prophets, priests, and kings. Now, prophet, priests, and kings of Hebrew culture, uh, again, were considered anointed ones. And Jesus, the Christ, was the anointed one. He wasn't just an anointed one. He was the anointed one. He was not just prophet or priest or king. He was all three in one. He was and is our prophet. Jesus is our prophet. Now, a prophet is someone who proclaims a message from God. Uh, Jesus was sent directly from the presence of God with a message to you and me. Uh, the message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, Jesus proclaimed great truths 
as he walked the earth. Uh, he did it both in word and he did it in, in the things that he did. Uh, about how you should live your life, how you and I should live our lives for God. He proclaimed great truths about what was getting ready to happen uh, to him and to the kingdom, what his mission was. He proclaimed that message. He, Jesus was the greatest prophet of all time, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Jeremiah. Name your prophet. Jesus was, was the greatest He didn't just receive a message from God. He was God bringing a message. He is our prophet. Jesus is our priest. Uh, Throughout the history of Israel, many from the priestly tribe of Levi uh, held the office of priest. Uh, And their job was to take care of things in the tabernacle or in the temple. One of the things was to offer sacrifices. And so for the priest in the Old Testament, day after day, they would offer animal sacrifices on an altar. Uh, and this was pretty much a symbol of the forgiveness of sins. It didn't really take away uh, people's sins. It, it basically was a symbol of what was going to happen when Jesus came. Um, but the priest would offer Uh, his sacrifice for the sins of the people, but he would also have to offer it for himself as well because he was a sinner just like everybody else was. But when our great high priest, Jesus, came, everything changed when it came to what a priest did and what what was accomplished. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 through 27 says, Because of this oath... Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. You had to keep having priests because they kept dying. (laughs) But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless. No Old Testament priest could ever say they were blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. He could not be included among the sinners like the Old Testament priest, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to sacrifice day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself, not an animal, but himself. Jesus is our great high priest. He didn't just offer the lives of animals for our sin, uh, an act that, that, uh, that was symbolic of what Jesus would do. Jesus offered himself, not an animal, but himself. Um, Uh, He was holy. He was pure. He was blameless. And so he offered his holy, pure, blameless self uh, as a sacrifice. And because he was a man just like us, a human being just like us, uh, not an animal, God said, hey, I will accept his sacrifice. He's the son of God, and he's a man, and he's perfect. I I will accept his sacrifice as a substitute for your punishment, for my punishment. He took the punishment 
on the cross for us. What a priest. What a priest that was. There was no Old Testament priest that could come close to that. And without our priest, Jesus, we are lost. We have no hope except through Jesus, our high priest. So he's our priest, and he is our king. Uh, Most of us have no problem accepting Jesus as our anointed prophet, you know, and, uh, and, and, and as our priest, we, we, we're, oh, sure, yeah, he's our prophet, he's our priest. Uh, we trust his teaching, right? Uh, we believe his words are truly from God. Uh, we're thankful for his willingness to be our, our great priest and offer himself on the, on the cross. We, we thank him for that. We're so gracious for his sacrifice. M- most people have no problem with Jesus being our prophet and our priest. It's the king thing that gets us sometimes, uh, that we often have difficulty with. You know, what is a king? What what is a king's role? Uh, A king is the sovereign, anointed, set-apart ruler of a kingdom, right? Now, in its purest sense, uh, he is the supreme ruler of, of a kingdom. He is the law of the land. What he says is the law. Um, he decides who lives, who dies, off with his head, or, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, He decides what his subjects can or cannot do. Uh, And now, if he's a good king, if he's a benevolent king, a just king, a kind king, hey, life is good in that kingdom. If he's a bad king, though, uh, if he's greedy, if he's power-hungry, if he's cruel, to his people, not so good, right? Not so good to live in that kingdom. Well, Jesus is not only our, our king, but he is the king of kings. Revelation 17, 12 through 14. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give... Uh, give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Jesus is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. The Greek for Lord is kurios. Kurios means He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power over deciding, master, Lord. He's the king of kings. King, Greek is basilios, the leader of the people, prince, commander, lord of the land, king. Jesus is the supreme leader, the commander, the owner, the all-powerful being. Of what? Of what? Better yet, of who? Who is he the all-powerful leader of? Well, it's you and me. He's the king of you and me. You know, Jesus is not the king of some organization or some corporation out there. Uh, he's not the king of some earthly country. Uh, he, he's not the king of any earthly kingdom uh, that we might think of. 
No, Jesus is the king of you. And he's the king of me. He is the Lord of you. And he's the Lord of me. What does that mean if he's the king of you and the king of me? It means, get ready for it, he's in charge of your life. <laughs> he's in charge of my life. Okay, now that's where we have a little trouble with Jesus being the king. The king. You know, by human nature, none of us like being under the control of somebody else, do we? Um, you know, uh, especially in our present culture. You know, one of the reasons that, that Hollywood and, and, and so many out in the world are so anti-Christian is because they know if I'm going to be a Christian, i got to let Jesus be in control. And if Jesus is in control, there's a lot of stuff I can't do <laughs> that I like to do. And I don't want anybody to tell me that it's wrong. A lot of people have trouble, and not, but just, not just Hollywood, you and I have trouble with it sometimes, uh, because our king has a way of life that he wants us to live. You know, since the 1960s, uh, we've been taught by our culture that we're the ones that are in control of our life. You know, nobody, but nobody should be able to tell us what to do. Nobody, not even God, not even God. So many times as Christians, you know, we buy, we buy into that way of thinking. It's not just Hollywood. Uh, it's, it's us sometimes. We welcome Jesus as our prophet. That's not, that's not a problem. I, I could do that. Uh, we love to listen to his teaching. Oh, he just, he just spoke so eloquently. Love and peace and joy. We love those lessons, don't we? Uh, we love those stories. You know, the story of the, the, the prodigal son and the lost sheep. We, we love those great stories. Uh, we like to hear how Jesus put those Pharisees in their place, those legalistic Pharisees, and, and the way he pointed his finger at them and called them hypocrites. We like that. Yeah, get them, Jesus, get them. We admire his willingness to come to earth as a man uh, with a message from his father. We, we're okay with that. We got no problem with Jesus as our prophet we welcome Jesus as our great priest, too. And man, that's wonderful. That, 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 that's for me. You know, we're thankful that he was able to live a perfect life, uh, and he was willing to give that life on the cross for me. Man, wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We, we have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternity because Jesus was our great high priest. We're okay with that. We're okay with that. But often when it comes time to welcome Jesus as our king, as the Lord of our lives, uh, one who, that we must bow down to and give total and complete control of our lives to, man, that's when we want to dig in our heels. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not sure if I'm for this. But here's the thing. You know, when you and I accept Jesus, um, we got to accept all of him. All of him. We can't just accept the things we like. We know that. Uh, the things that are easy, the things that take little effort, that take really no sacrifice. Um, we got to accept all of them, all of Jesus, our prophet, our priest, and our king. So let's, let's put it on a level that we can grasp, all right? Uh, have you ever noticed that the family is sort of like a little mini kingdom? 
God designed it that way. It's true. Uh, um, Dad is the king. God said it, not me. God said it, not me. Uh, It wasn't some male chauvinist from back in the 50s that decided that. No, God made Dad the king. We talked about that last this past Wednesday night, and from Ephesians 5, the the husband is the head of the wife, the head of the family. God made Dad the leader of the family. Let's call him a king. Let's call him a king. But and if he's a good leader, if he's a godly king, uh, if he's just, he's kind, he's gentle, he's loving, he's 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 great. He's what God wants. Now, Mom is the queen, right? If dad's a king, mom's the queen. Um, she's second in command of this little kingdom, the family. And she also should be exemplifying the godly qualities that God wants her to exemplify. Same as dad. Then what are the kids? The kids are the subjects of this little kingdom. Um, and, and, and I've said this throughout my ministry. Kids have one job in life. One job. You know what it is? Obey your parents. <laughs> That's their job. Uh, and now, obey their job, obey their parents might mean do chores and take out the garbage and things like that, but their primary objective and, and, uh, and, and, and a role that they should play as a subject in a family is obey the king and the queen, right? That's their job. So, king, dad says to son, son, go clean your room. Right now, go clean your room. Well, the faithful, loyal son says to his dad, yes, dad, as you wish, like Princess Bride, as you wish. (laughs) You are my dad. You are my dad. uh, And I know that this means a lot to you, that I obey you. And so I'm going to go clean my room right now just as you have commanded me. My responsibility in the sight of God, Father, is to obey you and go clean my room. Yeah, right. Any, any of you ever heard your son say that? That's what he should say, though, or something like that. But what if the son said, you know, Dad, uh, I really don't feel like cleaning my room right now. I mean, it, I stayed up really late last night, you know, after you told me to go to bed. Um, and I was playing video games till like 3 in the morning. And I just had to tell you, I'm really tired, Dad. So, Pop, uh, I'll tell you what. I, I know this is important to you that I clean my room. Um, look, I'll see if I can get around to it maybe, maybe next week. We'll see. We'll see. Now, would, would that drive you crazy if you're a dad? Of course it would. Why would that drive you crazy? Because that's wrong. <laughs> that's not the way a kingdom works. The subjects don't say, ah, we'll see, maybe. No, the subjects say, yes, sir. I'm off to clean my room right now. Mom says to her daughter, all right, your chore is to take out the garbage after school every day. And daughter says, but mom, but the garbage is yucky and it stinks and I just don't, make my brother do it. I don't want to do it. I'm I'm just not going to do it it, because I don't, it's below me to have to take out the garbage. Uh, And of course, that would drive mom crazy too uh, because it's wrong. That's not That's not the way subjects relate to the king and the queen. But before we let our blood boil over that fictional story, uh, let's look at it in a different way. The kingdom of God is very much like a family. We are 
of family. In fact, Christians are often called the children of God, God's sons and daughters, right? Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, uh, Paul writes, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 John 3, 1, How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are God's sons and daughters. And if we are God's sons and daughters, then that means he is our father, right? And he's also our king. He's our king. How many times does our father, the king, tell us to go clean our room? And we say, well, you know, God, here's the thing. I know this is important to you. Uh, I, I really, I know this is important to you and all, but, but I just, I'm just so busy right now, and I, I just don't have the time. And to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm really not interested very much in cleaning my room. And so, I don't know, maybe I'll think about it later, but, but no, not today, not today. God says, Mark, you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are a part of my body. Here, I have this spiritual gift for you. I want you to take it. I'm giving it to you. Uh, maybe, maybe it's prophecy. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's administration. Maybe it's encouragement, hospitality, helps, creative arts, leadership, prayer. Here, here's uh, here's my spirit, your spiritual gift. I'm giving it to you through the, the power of the Holy Spirit, this talent, this ability. Now, take this gift and go use it in my body. Go use it to further my kingdom, Mark. And, and Mark says, well, you know, God, <laughs> I appreciate this and all, and I, I, this is just not me, or I, I don't really have time to use it. I'll, I'll put it in my pocket, and maybe I'll pull it out later and use it once in a while, but, you know, you know I'm just not into it right now. I just don't have the time. I'm too busy. Let's ask ourselves this question. Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your Lord? If we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, we must accept him as our king. And it's not an option. You know, we, 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 can, we can't like, well, I, I, he, you're my prophet and you're my um, you're my priest and everything, but I, I'm not sure about this king thing. That's not an option. Have we given Jesus control of our lives? Because that's what the king is calling us to do. You know what's needed among Christians today? We need to stop playing the game that we might be playing when it comes to being a Christian. You know, the game where we give God a, a token wave every now and then. Hey, God, I love you. I love you. Uh, we show up at church uh, maybe a couple times a month or once a month, and, but then we just go right back to doing what we were doing before we came. The game where we neglect loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength uh, because we're just too involved in too many other things. You know, we're having to share him with all these other things, and, and sometimes they're higher on that priority list that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. You know, the game where we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves because we're too busy loving ourselves. 
the game where we rarely pick up God's Word and read it and learn from it and then apply it to our lives. His Word where we learn what it actually means to live for our King. This morning, I want to challenge you and me because I'm right in there with you, okay? I want to challenge you and me. If we're ever guilty of playing this game, even sometime, even sometime, let's stop. Let's stop playing at being a Christian. And even though it may be one of the hardest things that we've ever done, let's not just accept Jesus as our prophet and our priest. Let's for real make him our king. Father, thank you so much for being who you are. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being uh, a prophet, the great prophet, uh, the one who, uh, who gave us the truth that we live by. Those wonderful lessons and stories and parables, um, the, the messages that tell us how to treat each other and how to love you. Thank you for those wonderful Wonderful lessons that you pro profess to us uh, as our prophet. Lord, how could we thank you enough for being our priest, Lord, for not just being the one who offers the sacrifice, but for being the sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for being our great high priest, making it possible for us to have the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life. But Lord, thank you also for being our king. That's the hard one for, for us sometimes. Because that means that we are not in control. You are. You're the ruler. You're the commander. You're the supreme commander. Not of, some, not of them, but of me. Of me. And so Lord, help us to understand that you're our king. And accept that. And, and not give excuses anymore. But when we hear our king say, Go here or go there or do this or do that or, or, or whatever it might be. We say, yes, yes, sire, uh, as you wish. And we follow you and do as you would have us do. Thank you, Father, for being our prophet, our priest, and our king. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.